I would love this year for us to have a a really wonderful problem in the life of the church. And the problem I would love for us to have this year is that we keep running out of Bibles. You will see that some of you have a, a Bible in your pew. Some of you know where the cupboard is in the foyer. Who here knows where the cupboard is in the foyer that has Bibles in it? Okay, there's a cupboard and it's in the foyer. That that limits it. And there is a stack of Bibles in there. If there is someone in your life that does not have a Bible, take one of the ones out of the pew, take one of the ones out of the cupboard and go and give it to that person. You know what? You can even print something out and glue it in the front and and make it a gift to them. And if we run out of Bibles, praise God, we're going to spend some money and buy some more Bibles so we can keep giving them away. All right. So if you suspect that there is someone in your life who could really do with a Bible, please take one with you today. And then try saying to someone, I brought this for you. I got this because I didn't know if you already had one. So let's see how we go with that this um, this year. I'm going to stay on your case about it. The Bible that is in the pew near you or the one that you've brought with you this morning, please open it. We're going to be in John chapter 18. Um, that Bible may not be in the pew next week. We'll find out. And we're going to read together this passage of Scripture up here. Um, I haven't put the text in the slides. You're going to need to read along with the Bible that you have in front of you. We're going to read together, then we're going to talk about uh, this key figure that we meet in the text and what the deal is with them. But before we do that, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning not just because we have an academic interest in some historical events, but because we want to know you yourself. And Lord Jesus, we pray together this morning that we might know you as individuals and as a group, that you might make yourself very clear to us, that we might walk and talk with you, that your spirit might be at work inside of us, making known to us your glory and your holiness and your majesty. Lord Jesus, would you please meet with us this morning? Would you please show us who you are? Would you illuminate this text to us this morning? We present ourselves to it. And in your name we pray. Amen. John chapter 18, starting at verse 28. We spoke last time again about Peter's denial of Jesus and how wonderful it is that we can see that Jesus' love for Peter is not based on Peter's performance because his performance is really dodgy. Chapter 18, verse 28 is where we pick our reading up this morning, and I'm going to be reading from an NIV. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So all everything that's just happened with Jesus, him being arrested, him being taken first to Annas, then to Caiaphas, this trial going on, Jesus being struck across the face, Peter denying Jesus as he is brought out, all those things going on have happened throughout the night, and now it is the early hours of the morning. By the way, the rules of the Sanhedrin 
meant that no trial was actually allowed to happen at night. So they've broken their own rules to make this happen. Also, if something was a capital trial, if someone was going to be put to death about something, the trial usually had to go for at least two days. So they've broken some more of their practices there. This is something that they are rushing to do because the Passover feast is happening. And if they end up being ceremonially unclean, they would need to go through the cleaning process again. And because they couldn't be bothered doing that, because they didn't want to be you know, out of sync with what's happening, to miss out on a couple of days of the Passover feast, because these guys are influential and respected, they have rushed through this. Verse 29. They wouldn't go into the palace because it would make them ceremonially unclean. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. It's interesting. If he were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. We'll talk about Pilate's response in a couple of minutes. Verse 31, Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. We know that they had already brought a woman into the temple courts to stone her. John has already told us about that. The Jewish ruling class did actually execute people and Rome did turn a blind eye to it. We'll talk about why they're doing this differently with Jesus shortly. Verse 32, this took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him. So Jesus comes in on his own. Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him, give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. 
As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Close your finger on your Bible for a moment. Otherwise, you'll read on because it's really good. We need to talk about Pilate. And Pilate is someone that we actually have some other information about. In the first century, so between uh, what we call year zero and year 99 is technically the first century. So uh, a guy by the name of um, Flavius Josephus was a Jewish historian and he drew on other sources, but he gives us a number of records. I'm sorry for the smallness of the text. I'm just going to read these pieces through because this, this tells us who we're actually dealing with here. Um, Pilate being sent by Tiberius as prefect to Judah. So Pilate is already, uh, we think, a member of the cavalry because that's where his family was attached to. Uh, and he's already a decorated military strategist. He gets sent to be the governor Rome's representative who is over all of Judea, and his job is to keep the peace, Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. His job is to apply the Roman Empire to the indigenous people who are there to rule over them, mainly for taxation purposes. Pilate being sent by Tiberius as prefect of Judah, introduced into Jerusalem by night and undercover the effigies of Caesar, which are called standards. So when Pilate turns up, all the different Roman governors who've been there before him don't walk in with Caesar's face and Caesar's banners flying because they don't want to upset the locals. They want to have enough peace to be able to tax them. Pilate seems to not care. This is the first thing that we learn about him. This proceeding, when day broke, aroused immense excitement Amongst the Jews, they were upset. Those on the spot were in consternation, considering their laws to have been trampled underfoot. Remember, this is Pilate's first week on the job. As those laws permit no image to be erected in the city, while the indignation of the townspeople stirred the country folk who flocked together in crowds. Hastening after Pilate to Caesarea, the Jews implored him to remove the standards, these big banners, these big... Um, displays and flags, to remove these standards from Jerusalem and to uphold the laws of their ancestors. Remember, Josephus is a Jew. He's writing from the Jewish perspective. When Pilate refused, they fell prostrate around his palace and for five whole days and nights remained motionless in that position. We don't know if there's a bit of exaggeration going on here. The great stadium where Pilate addressed the Jewish multitude on the ensuing day, Pilate took his seat on his tribunal in the great stadium and summoning the multitude with the apparent intention of answering them, gave the arranged signal to his armed soldiers to surround the Jews. This is how Pilate works. Finding themselves in a ring of troops three deep, the Jews were struck dumb at this unexpected sight. Pilate, after threatening to cut them down if they refused to admit Caesar's images, signaled to the soldiers to draw their swords. Think of the behavior we're seeing here from Pilate. This is control. This is military strategy. This is threat. Thereupon the Jews, as by concerted action, flung themselves in a body on the ground, extended their necks, so position of vulnerability, and exclaimed that they were ready rather to die than to transgress the law. 
Overcome with astonishment at such intense religious zeal, Pilate gave orders for the immediate removal of the standards from Jerusalem. Again, there's a bit of bias in Josephus. We can't take everything he's just written as though it was scripture, but we see here some of the strategy that Pilate uses to get what he wants. And he's not interested in impressing the Jews. He's not interested in pandering to them. He does not have a high opinion of them. This is a military man from Rome who's come here to deliberately oppress these people. This is another passage talking about it. Uh, Pilate undertook to bring a current of water to Jerusalem. So while he was governor, he wanted to do a particular building project. But he did it with the sacred money and derived the origin of the stream from the distance of 200 furlongs. So Pilate goes to the Jewish treasury, the temple's treasury, takes their money to pay for his aqueduct. However, the Jews were not pleased, surprise, surprise, with what had been done about this water. And many ten thousands of the people got together and made a clamor against him and insisted that he should leave off that design. Some of them also used reproaches and abused the man. So they're yelling out verbally, as crowds of such people usually do. So he habited a great number of his soldiers in their habit. He got his soldiers to dress up like locals who carried daggers under their garments. Can you see where this is going? And send them to a place where they might surround them. So he bid the Jews himself go away, but they boldly casting reproaches upon him. He gave the soldiers that signal which had been beforehand agreed on, who laid upon them much greater blows than Pilate had commanded him. His soldiers go for broke and equally punished those that were tumultuous and those that were not. His soldiers just attacked everyone. Nor did they spare them in the least. And since the people were unarmed and were caught by men prepared for what they were about, They were a great number of them slain by this means, and others of them ran away wounded, and thus an end was put to this sedition. Can we see who Pilate is? This is the person that we find Jesus being presented to. One more. Again from Josephus. There was an uprising that happened in Samaria. If you know your biblical geography, Samaria is the area to the north, otherwise known as the the northern kingdom, where Jesus meets the woman at the well. So there's an uprising that happens because there's a guy who basically wants to lead a rebellion. Um, I'll start reading from about where that blue number nine is. So they came thither armed and thought the discourse of the man probable. So all these locals gather together to go with this guy and to, to rise up in rebellion. And as they abode at a certain village, which was called uh, Tirathaba, they got the rest together to them and desired to go up the mountain in a great multitude together. But Pilate prevented their going up by seizing upon the roads with a great band of horsemen and footmen who fell upon those that were gotten together in the village. And when it came to an action, some of them they slew and others of them they put to flight. In other words, they killed some, others ran off. They took a great many alive, the principal of which and also the most potent of those that fled away, Pilate ordered to be slain. Even the prisoners that Pilate takes captive, he often kills. If he considers them a threat at all. When this tumult was appeased, when the violence died down, the Samaritan Senate sent an, uh, an embassy to Vitellus, a man that had been a consul and who was now the president of Syria, and accused Pilate of the murder of those that were killed. For that they did not go to uh, Tirathaba in order to revolt from the Romans, but to escape the violence of Pilate. So Vitellus sent Marcellus, a friend of his, to take care of the affairs of Judea. Basically, Pilate ends up losing his job because he's too violent. 
He puts down a rebellion with such force and takes so little prisoners of war. This is the person that we are dealing with. In 1969, this stone was found at the Roman theater in um, Caesarea. And it has a dedication by Pilate to Tiberius Caesar Augustus on it. This is a piece of archaeological evidence we have that Pilate lived and that Pilate was a powerful person and that he makes this tribute to the emperor. The inscription's been dated to about 30 AD, give or take five years. This is not a photo of Pilate. This is a still from the film The Passion of the Christ, which I think does a good job of representing him in some of his violence. So here is someone who we can see their default setting is violence. Their default setting is if anything is a threat to them, they will crush the threat mercilessly. And this is the person who's been put in charge of maintaining the peace of Rome throughout the empire. He's supposed to not cause antagonism, but he pushes pretty hard in that direction. He threatens the Jews. He's eventually removed from his post because he is too violent. So let's read again some pieces of this text and see if it reads a little bit different to us. Verse 28. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. This is at his palace. They are now on his turf. And this is a dangerous phrase. By now, it was early morning. And to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace. So you've turned up at Pilate's palace and gotten him out of bed. And then you've stood outside and said, I'm not going to come inside because that will make me unclean. What sort of mood might that suggest Pilate is in? So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? Is this man a threat? Verse 30, if he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. It suggests there that when Pilate first sees Jesus, he's not impressed and he does not consider him a threat. Part of Pilate's job would have been to actually size people up. That's what they're answering there. If he were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate then says, take him yourselves. Why have you gotten me out of bed? It is early in the morning. Seriously? You're telling me this person is a threat. Take him yourselves. Judge him by your own law. We have no right to execute anyone, they objected. Pilate would have known that that was not their practice. He would have known that that was not their practice. And so straight away... This tactical military person, there is every chance that Pilate knew right then and there that he was being played, that Rome was about to be used as a tool. And so rather than Pilate questioning Jesus out the front, Pilate goes back inside the palace. The Jews are not about to come in, but Pilate goes back inside 
and he sections Jesus off and brings Jesus in. Incidentally, in the eyes of the Jews, that would have made Jesus ceremonially unclean for the Passover. What an interesting thought that when Jesus goes to the cross, at the, at the event that the Passover in Egypt foreshadowed, this is the real Passover, Oh, the irony that the Jewish leaders thought Jesus was ceremonially unclean because he went in to, to Pilate's palace. It's a great thought in that. When Jesus goes into a room, Jesus does not become unclean. You just have a room that now has the Son of God in it. It's the room that's changed, not Jesus. And Pilate asks him this question, Are you the king of the Jews? And have a look here at Jesus' words. Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Jesus doesn't answer his question. The Son of God face to face with Pontius Pilate, and Jesus chooses not to answer his question. Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? And Pilate's response here, am I a Jew? is a rhetorical question. Rhetorical questions usually are supposed to have an obvious answer. The obvious answer here is, of course, Pilate's not a Jew. So when Jesus says, is that your own idea, or did others talk to you about me? Pilate responds, am I a Jew? Would he have arrived at this conclusion on his own? Of course not. Pilate goes on, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. In other words, this is their charge against you. I didn't arrive at this conclusion. This is what they are saying about you. What is it you have done? And here, Jesus gives the most extraordinary explanation of what he is about. Just like with the woman at the well, who was not a religious official, who was not highly educated in religious law and the prophets, And Jesus says this, my kingdom is not of this world. We need to keep that in mind as we read the news today. My kingdom is not of this world. Jesus' kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. Every nation that exists on the face of this planet will at some time have to justify its borders against acts of aggression. This is what we see happening in the South China Sea. This is the saber rattling that we see happening between Uh, America and Russia, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus' kingdom does not operate according to geographical boundaries. If it were, my servants, note he doesn't just say his disciples or his angels, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Remember who Jesus is talking to here. This guy doesn't like Jews, and this guy is a highly decorated soldier, a strategic thinker, and he is an envoy for the Roman Empire who invade other people's land. And here Jesus says, you know what? My kingdom doesn't even operate on that scale. I'm on a whole different scale, whole other level. Pilate seizes on the answer to the question that he wanted. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. Now, for us who are Aussies, often when we use a phrase like that, oh, you said that, oh, you said that, not me, 
We usually use that phrase as a contrast to say, oh, that's not what I'm talking about at all. That's not the way it appears in the text. In the ancient Near East, it's the same as saying, the truth is now coming from your mouth as well. That's the way that phrase is used. Throughout the New Testament, when Jesus says to someone, you have said it, it's the same as him saying, yes, absolutely, now you are confirming the truth as well. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. Yes, the truth is on your lips now as well. And then he says this, in fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. When Jesus was brought in before Pilate and Pilate sections him off and takes him into the palace, there is one question going on in Pilate's mind and it's this. Is this person a military threat to the Roman Empire? And Jesus has just said, my kingdom is not of this world and everyone on the side of truth listens to me and this is the reason I was born and came into the world. So Pilate in his mind, he's got the answer that he wants. This man is not a threat. He is not a threat to the military prowess of the Roman Empire. That's the only answer that he was after. That's why the Jewish people have apparently turned up on his doorstep is because they say this man is a threat. This man is pretending to be a king. This man is dangerous. This man needs to be killed by you. This man is going to lead a rebellion. That's the accusation. So have a look. Verse 38. With this he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. This man is not a threat, is what he is saying. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him, give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas, note note well here John's choice of words, now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. We find out in the other Gospels that Barabbas' name is actually Jesus Barabbas or Yeshua Barabbas. He shares the same first name as Jesus of Nazareth. And it's interesting that Pilate, we find out in the other Gospels, that Pilate presents Barabbas and Pilate presents Jesus and he says, tell me which one you want. Do you want Jesus, the king of the Jews? That's the phrase that they've turned up with. This man claims to be king of the Jews. Do you want Jesus, king of the Jews, or do you want Jesus, Barabbas? And they say, give us Barabbas. Now, remember the question that Pilate wants answered here. Pilate wants to know, is Jesus a military threat to the Roman Empire? And here is Jesus Barabbas, and this guy has led a rebellion. He has led a rebellion. And over here is this guy who says, my kingdom is not of this world. So now Pilate is almost fishing for the real answer that he wants from these Jewish people. You're telling me this guy's a threat. I know this guy's a threat and you would rather have him. Okay, what's really going on here? Then Pilate took Jesus, chapter 19, verse 1, and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe. That's the color of royalty in that culture. And went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. First the Jewish officials, now the Roman soldiers. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. How unthreatening would Jesus have appeared? 
He has been beaten. He has been whipped. He has had a crown of thorns twisted and shoved on his head. They have mocked him by putting him in a purple robe. Here is this debased, shamed creature. Jesus at this point was started to have already looked quite unrecognizable. Here is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Here is Jesus Barabbas. Barabbas, you tell me which one is more of a threat. And they say, what? As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. For the Jewish people, this Jesus of Nazareth is still more of a threat to their safety than this man who led a rebellion. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die. And now we get the truth, because he claimed to be the Son of God. Verse 8, when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. Something in Pilate's thinking has shifted, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Turn over with me to Matthew. Matthew chapter 27, because there's one other piece of Scripture that we need to put into the mix with this. Matthew chapter 27, we're going to read down around about verse 18. Or verse 17. Matthew 27, verse 17. When the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. Verse 19. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Pilate, this extraordinary figure, we see in this moment he is afraid. He is afraid. He has encountered this figure, this chewed up, spat out, whipped and scourged figure. He can see that the population is stirred up because of it. And there is nothing outwardly about Jesus that is a threat. But he sees how stirred up the Jewish people are because of this. And he's confronted with this, that Jesus says to him, I am a king and my kingdom is not of this world. And then he's confronted with the hatred that the Jewish people have for him, which doesn't make sense. And then he's confronted with his own wife's dream that she has had this spiritual experience. Read on with me a little bit. John chapter 19, verse 10. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said. After he's afraid, after something has shifted inside of him, he goes back in and he says, where do you come from? Do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize I have power either to free you 
or to crucify you. And now Jesus answers, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Not a greater error, not a greater mistake, but a greater sin. And have a look here, verse 12. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. What an extraordinary figure this person is. This person is not a follower of Christ. This person owes Jesus no allegiance. They're not a Jew. They're not educated in the ways of Judaism. I think it would be fair to say that Pilate is probably one of the people that cares least about the Jews. And here, in the middle of the world that he's used to controlling where he's used to getting what he wants, being in charge, using threats and violence and intimidation to bend the situation the way he wants it. Here is a person who not only refuses to answer his question first time, but someone who then refuses to speak to him, someone who has a greater understanding of authority than he does, someone who is not afraid to, not afraid to stare him in the face, someone who's not afraid of death, Someone who says, I am truth. This is why I was born. This is why I came into the world. I am a king. My kingdom is not of this world. And now Pilate finds himself powerless to stop this turn of events. Jesus is still holding all the cards and Pilate is powerless to do what he actually wants. Pilate can't set Jesus free even if he wants to. Rome has become a tool of something greater which is going on. I want to make one simple point, looking at all of those different pieces this morning, one simple point. What is it that changes Pilate's heart? What is it that actually causes the change in Pilate's heart? Because we want to see people's hearts changed. Here in this district, we want people to have a radical encounter with actually knowing who Jesus is. The thing that actually ends up changing Pilate's heart is that his spouse has an extraordinary dream and that he sees a whole bunch of people hating Jesus and it doesn't make sense. And then he actually has Jesus' words to chew on for himself. See, none of those things were, were things that any, anyone sort of forced upon Pilate to have. Sometimes this is, this is the story people tell when they go, you know what, I... I have to deal with who I think Jesus is. Something has changed. Something shifted. I, I feel differently about who Jesus is now. And you go, okay, well, what happened? Well, I saw a whole lot of people just hated him and it didn't make sense. And you know what? This person that I know really well and have a lot of respect for, this person who I let speak into my life, they had a profound spiritual experience and they are a credible person. And so I had a look at his words for myself and something changed inside of me. Sometimes a person's whole life being transformed and then finding healing and release and purpose can be that simple. So if, if that is how some people are going to journey through dealing with things, even people who are like Pilate, people that maybe we've even met before, people who are used to being in control, people who maybe are used to bending the situation around them to be the way that they want it to. Maybe some people that we know are people who are a bit violent. 
people who do control really well. Maybe sometimes the best tools to give that person is to actually go, you know what, here is a profound spiritual experience which I had. Let me tell you what, what happened. And to just put it out there for the Lord to do something with, to share your story with someone. Sometimes it's like what we've already talked about. Give them Jesus' words. Go, cool. Hey, go, go read it for yourself. You see what he thinks. Sometimes the conversation gets started because we go, hey, you know, well, if Jesus was telling everyone to love him, why do so many people hate Jesus? Why are there so many countries in the, in the world where if I go and I talk openly about Jesus, I'll get locked up or I'll get killed or I'll get beaten and then locked up and then killed? Why is the hatred for Jesus so strong if he's actually nothing and nobody? These are simple questions and simple things that you and I can do every day to put that decision before people to approach Jesus for themselves. And maybe, like what we've read about this morning, for someone, the most unlikely person in the world, to even have a change of heart happen. We know that Pilate goes on and continues to be a violent man. We know that Pilate is afraid and this is where we'll get to when we continue in the text, is that he wants to wash his hands of this. He doesn't want any of the blame coming back to him about this. We know that the Jewish leaders want Rome to execute Jesus because if the execution comes from Rome, they can't get the blame. Everyone's trying to wash their hands of this because they're afraid. Let's pray for a moment about what we do with what we've just read. Lord Jesus, we said this morning we didn't just want a head full of academic information, but we wanted to see you for yourself. And Lord Jesus, we see that when you were beaten, when you were mocked, when you were insulted, when you were crowned with thorns, the very curse of Adam, that Lord Jesus, you were still holding all the cards. You understood exactly what was happening. And you didn't shrink back. You didn't shy away from proclaiming faithfully the truth about yourself. Lord Jesus, would you give us that kind of backbone to open up our mouth and to share with the people around us to go, you know what, can I tell you this story about what happened to me? Can I tell you how the Lord got hold of me? to put the scriptures into the hands of other people so they can just read it for themselves, to give them your words. Lord Jesus, could you help us to actually be bold about drawing the rest of the world's attention to the way that, that you and your people continue to be attacked when it doesn't make political sense? Lord Jesus, as we've read about this morning, would you help us to take that on board and to work with this information in a way that changes our behavior, in a way that benefits your kingdom and that brings you glory and praise and honor. Lord Jesus, if we are here this morning and if we are the person who is still really wrestling with this, would you journey with us through our questions? Would you help us to bring our very best questions and for you to give us insight, for you to show yourself really, really plainly, really clearly. Lord Jesus, we commit this week to you. Uh, Lord, we pray particularly for for those who are contemplating baptism uh, for this service coming up in, in several weeks' time. Lord Jesus, would you be with us? Amen.